0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Waypoint Radio. Uh we have in the past, I, as I've noted, we're going to start introducing some interview segments into the Monday uh, podcast because it turns out as, as much as we try to play as many video games as possible, sometimes sometimes we don't have enough time to fill two whole podcasts, and so we're trying to broaden the horizons of what we can do on, on the Monday episode. And so, uh, feel free to you know write in, tell us if you're suggesting the folks you'd like us to talk to. But this week, um, I am lucky enough to be sitting down with—I uh, guess it's sitting down usually. Well, we'll get to us talking at GDC, but Andrew Scholdeis, the designer, creative director, like what someone who wears so many hats. What do you call yourself uh, for uh, the the upcoming uh, uh, adventure action adventure game Tunic? Uh,
1: that's a good question. Um, if you have any
0: suggestions,
2: uh, <laughs> you have to be put something in the credits, right? Like you'll be listed. Uh, no, it's blank.
1: <laughs> it just says my name.
0: <laughs> oh, so you, you so you, despite the fact that you like you know you're in the, the the closing weeks of of working on Tunic. You're, are you just going to cop out, just like not actually assign yourself a title?
1: I I mean, it feels weird to 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 I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like yeah, like director. But everybody on the project is so self-directed that I feel like I'm not directing them. Um, yeah, good good. I mean, I guess um,
0: creator. Visionary. There you go. Um, See, yeah, yeah, you might as well go, you might as well go for the big swing. Uh, no, no, I hate that. I'll
2: See, do, now that's I'll what i This is
0: what I'm looking forward to. It's like when whenever I get into playing, you know, uh, Tunic uh, in in March is the. I'm not. You know, I'm. Not, I'm going to be less interested in what is the mystery here. Look at all these tiny, beautiful details in the game. I'm going to be wondering. Well, what did Andrew decide to credit himself? <laughs>
1: The game. <laughs> I just posted – I did a, a, a capture of the, the credit scroll to post to the team and be like, hey, you know, check spelling, make sure everything's mm-hmm. correct. So if someone comes back and says, you need to give yourself a, a title of some kind, then we will. But otherwise, maybe that's just how it's going to go.
0: <laughs> so you, you had mentioned to me before uh, uh, we got started that uh, – I guess I should set up Tunic um, – Uh, you know, isometric uh, uh, action-adventure game. There was a demo out for it. uh, Was it last year on the Xbox uh, sort of demo, summer demo thing? Um, I think that might have been when it first dropped, yeah. Yeah, um, it's uh, – you've almost certainly – seeing the very cute, adorable fox that's at the center of it. Uh, it's been uh, compared um, to sort of a Zelda-esque Dark Souls sort of inspired in terms of its like mystery sort of uh, adventure. Um, and you mentioned to me that, uh, like I said prior we started recording, that uh, we'd actually met roughly almost a decade uh, to, the, to this recording date um, at a GDC back when I worked at... Uh, giant bomb uh, at and I lived in San Francisco at the Game Developers Conference and you mentioned what was that was interesting but you mentioned that other than uh, time uh, is forever and uh, ten years ago does not seem like ten years ago but I guess it is is that you know you're working on uh, on Tunic uh, and for a long time you worked at a casual puzzle adventure game company uh, Silverback productions before you kind of split off and start working on Tunic. And I kind of wanted to start there. Like what, you know, how do we get from spending, I think I saw it was like six years at Silverback uh, to to Tunic. I don't know, like talk to me about the games you were making while you were at Silverback.
1: We made a few different games there, but primarily the sort of the the niche that we settled into was making uh, hidden object games, which if you're not familiar, these are sort of like, uh, mist meets where's Waldo sort of thing, um, where you sort of wander around. You're usually, um, you know, solving, uh, solving a mystery of some kind, uh, and you need to just like f- find a billion screwdrivers, um, <laughs> and, you know, uh, you, you use, use key on lock and occasionally do like a picture find. And, um, we, we got pretty good at making them. They're, they're fun things. Uh, but uh, on the, on the side for fun, I would do, you know, game jams like Ludum Dare or just, you know, um, stuff for fun. And at a certain point, someone asked me like, oh, are you, are you ever going to make something bigger? Are you ever going to make something on your own? Um, and it, yeah, at a certain point, it just was, if I don't do it now, when am I going to do it sort of thing? And uh, it's not, it's not advice, you know, don't, <laughs> nobody, yeah, don't quit your day job. It's not, it's not it wasn't a uh, a prudent move, uh, but it was something that I needed to do at the time.
0: Uh, is there, you know, any lessons from your time making like hidden object games that ended up in Tunic, despite the fact that obviously <laughs> like on the surface, it might be difficult to see like A to B, but I have to, met. you know, you spent enough time building games of a specific type, working on games of a specific type that, you know, some of that would bleed over? Is there, did anything from those years make it into Tunic itself?
1: I guess now that you mention it, sure. Like, I mean, very careful control of game state um, is, but, but more practically, there's like, uh, we, one of the things we found is it's very hard to get people to read text on screen. If you explain to people what they're supposed to do, you know, big box of text that tells them exactly what they're supposed to do. Um, The People will read it like, you know, 20% of the time, maybe, you know. (laughs) Um, Through no fault of their own, you know, a wall of text is not a very interesting way to learn how to do something. So, uh, I don't know if I explicitly made this connection, but the idea of not really giving much direction to the player at all and letting them sort of experiment and figure things out and um, strike out into the wild unknown on their own – uh, maybe that's something that sort of worked its way into Tunic, which which, which sort of lets you choose your own path in some ways.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I guess pr- prior to you know you know working on hidden Object games, prior to working on Tunic, like what drew you to video games in the first place? Like, what is sort of your origin story in terms of just like games in general?
1: I guess my earliest memories of video games were, were probably it was probably. Um, super mario brothers mm-hmm. and the most relevant story that i can think of that isn't a very early memory i have of that game is finding the warp zone at the end of one two i mean imagine being a, a child um and i don't know if it was an accident or it was putting two and two together like maybe i was you know thinking to myself not playing the game hey wait a second there's that elevator couldn't you just I wonder what's over there, and you, you sort of walk outside the bounds of the game, and text appears on the screen. And I don't remember how old I was at the time, but I'm pretty sure, ninety nine percent sure, that it was probably the first time I had ever seen the word warp or the word zone. Um, so I had absolutely no idea what was happening.
0: Uh, I've had a, a similar experience. I have a, a five year old who has recently graduated from uh, wanting to play video games because they just want to copy what dad is doing to, uh, like, a genuine interest in video games where, like, is asking for like one of the switches in the house to replace like what otherwise would be like iPad time like after after dinner and things like that and the game that really kind of hooked her was New Super Mario Brothers U Deluxe which is an incredible mouthful of a name but you know it's the switch version of the Wii U New Super Mario Brothers game and like one of the the genius things that uh uh are in those games is like the ability for her to like hit L and R and then she pops in a bubble. And so like, I, I was able to like help guide her through difficult areas in the game while she kind of was like getting her feet wet, um, just grasping what it was like to move in a space. And that's all to say, of, you know, now that she's kind of gotten her uh, kind of the foundational knowledge of how to like at least move from, from left to right. Um, I remember one time uh, we were playing and she, I said like, you should try and go down, like, see if you can go down to that pipe. She's like, but why? Like, why? (laughs) Like, I know I'm going to go forward. I'm going to find the fireball, try and fight the enemies. And like still to this day, despite the fact that that series has been iterated on uh, a billion times, like it does at no point does the game like pop up with any tutorial text or put a big arrow that says, hey, if you press down on a pipe, you might go somewhere that's a secret. And it's not, you know, her discovery of that was not as profound as (laughs) a warp zone, but it was delightful that... Something similar to that could still exist in a in a series that like you would think, oh, they figured out how to communicate all this to players. And of course, over the the the, the long span of time, they would try and make things a little more obvious. And, and to some degree, that is true. But just the simple fact of like there's a mystery down that pipe. We're not going to tell you that you could even do it. It's not necessary to beat any of these levels. Um was like a real delight because then she just spent like, well, now we need to check every single pipe going forward. And I, was like, oh. I, was yeah. like, I was like, I remember doing very similar things at that age where it's like, I just can't progress until I find out if this pipe also could go could go yeah. somewhere.
1: I mean, maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves. But yeah, that's a, the idea. Finding a secret for the first time is not just knowing that you can go down this pipe. It's suddenly adding a mental question mark to every pipe you've ever seen or ever will see right it's it's enriching the world in a way and making it a lot more exciting and and in the case of you know going down a pipe or finding a warp zone the most exciting ones are the ones where you show up and you you don't know what's going on you know like the the meaning of like it this it feels very profound
0: and it seems uh you know i I played the demo of of tunic um uh last year and then i also remember playing it like a Back when I went to things like E3, and I think when it was, you know, there was a trailer at one of the showcases. And then so there was a uh, uh, a build of the game on on the show floor that I was playing around. But one of the things that really sticks out about Tunic um, and seems to really have drawn you uh, into kind of the game you want to make is is the sense of mystery. Is the sense of giving players options to figure out the adventure they want to go on themselves. And I'm it's easy to see where you've landed, you know, you know years into the project and where that where where that is has come out. But I'm curious like when you're sketching out that idea, when you're thinking about like the possibility space, like I don't know where do you, where do you where do you start? What is what was the first thing that you did on building tunic? Like is it a line of code? Is it a piece of art? Like what is what is like tunic day 1 even if you didn't know it was tunic yet?
1: Uh, uh yeah, good good question. I think it was it's probably some amount of art design was one of the very first things like the the world has this um, strong emphasis on sort of bounced light, you know, like the sort of ambient glow of the light of the world. Um, and so some of the earliest experiments were, you know, what is it like to have, you know, the, the sunrise and see this, you know, world cast in light with this strict isometric perspective and starting to experiment with things like, how do we deal with the player going behind things and you can't see them anymore? Do you do the do you do the outline thing? Do you swing the camera around? Do you and I spent a lot of time trying to get the to do that thing where the world sort of dissolves mm-hmm. and you can sort of see through. And that I mean I got that working, but it didn't it didn't feel right at all. And in retrospect, I think one of the one of the things that ends up being sort of a very important part of Tunic's design is being able to slip behind corners and uh, explore in places where it feels like you're not supposed to be do you know what I mean mm-hmm. um, like finding little secret paths and um, you yeah, making sure that the world feels you know solid and grounded and you're you're just this little friend sort of finding your way through through it uh, when why fox <laughs> uh, the the uh, Early on, I was not especially... So my my background is primarily in uh, programming and I did a bunch of UI design back in in my previous life. Mm -hmm. But 3D modeling was something that I had only dabbled in a little bit. And so the very first uh, Fox was... Mostly planned on graph paper, like oh, this is where the vertices will go, and because I wasn't super proficient in, in Blender or anything, and, and so I, I didn't want to be like, oh, you're going to be a human, because then all kinds of questions come up, like, well, what is this human going to look like, and do you need a character creator, so it's just easy to be like, no, you're the the avatar for anybody playing this game is this is this fox, um, and it, it sort of worked out because it's a game about discovering mysteries and getting into trouble and things, and, and foxes sort of have that mischievous air about them um i I would like to say that this is something that I knew from the very beginning because <laughs> of the nature of the the combat um the a fox having you know a big head that with this pointy nose and big bushy tail um orientation of like where your character's looking and stuff becomes sort of obvious and important, and uh having having that sort of yeah arrow shaped player character sort of helps
0: uh having that sense of mystery i'm I'm curious. How do you maintain that? You know, the game's been, you know, you've been working on it for a number of years now. Um, You see things over and over and over again. Um, Obviously, you can get other people to play it, so you can kind of, like, get a sense of how other people respond to it. But, like, how do you maintain that sense of mystery even for yourself as you become so intimately familiar with every little bit? I, I imagine it eventually you must kind of lose grasp of like what is and isn't mysterious when when you when you've built it and stared at it for tens of thousands of hours uh yes absolutely there's <laughs> there's
1: it has been bled of joy it is <laughs> nothing but a, a folder on my computer um, with absolutely nothing interesting in it that's a no there's a that that's a that's a practical thing i remember thinking really hard about this like how do i not just you know stay motivated or whatever because that's not an especially useful line of thinking but how do i how do i know if this still feels correct like how do i hold on to this particular you know ideal of mystery or whatever when it's been it's like the the mystery has been just shaken out entirely and and yeah it's hard i don't know if there's a good solution for it i've tried a few things like uh, you know how an, uh, an artist will flip their work left to right mm-hmm as they're working on it, um, I have a tool that will do that in level design, so I can sort of explore a, a space like "quote unquote" for the first time, where the the rendering engine flips it left to right, which is which is pretty useful for very specific things like where is your eye drawn as I play through this, where do I, you know, bumble my way, like are, is the direction that we sort of like "quote unquote" want the player to go obvious, blah blah blah, blah that sort of thing. Um, but the the larger question of how do you maintain mystery? Is uh, I, I don't know, but the it it seems like, and I don't know. Players will have to to answer this for themselves. But it seems like we're on the right track because anytime, <laughs> like the audio design team, so uh, Power Up Audio um, is the design team, and uh, Kevin Regamy has been doing um, audio direction for the game, and there are other people on the team that have have played Tunic. Um, Less, and I have now just recently like gotten fresh builds and and started to dig in again um, as we get ready for the the finish line. And um, they've gotten back and like, wow, they, you guys really nailed this. You know, feeling of childlike wonder. <laughs> uh, it's like, yes. <laughs> Which is, yeah, I uh, it would be a nice back-of-the-box quote if it wasn't from someone like on the team, obviously. But it's, it, I mean, the demo, when it's gone out as well, it's whatever, everybody's tastes are different and maybe it doesn't land for everybody. But every now and again, someone will say, you know, I, I feel like I felt when I was a kid, you know, and that's very trite, I understand, but it is still heartwarming for me.
0: And so, you know, that, that kind of, that feeling of, you uh, what it felt like as a kid is, is it trying to recapture, you know, sort of specifically like the warp zone sort of thing? Is it more specific to uh, like the Zelda influences, the sort of, Hey, here's a game, here's a map. I don't know. Figure out the rest. I'm like, I'm curious what the the kind of philosophical touchstones uh, were for like trying to, I don't know, harness whatever feelings you had when you were younger that you're trying to put into this original work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the 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 warp zone thing, yeah, totally like just suddenly learning a uh, a truth about the world that that bit at the top of the screen is you can is a place you can go and just the ramifications of that like, well, I could go past the like that that's a very that's a very cool feeling. And um I mean, people have brought it up before, but like Zelda 1 is sort of the, the the example that people bring up of a game where, you know, there's a secret on every screen and once you realize that um, you're, you're like, wow, every, every bush could be a secret, you know, let me, let me try and, um, you know, it, it's like, I mentioned before, it suddenly adds this layer of like, Oh, I didn't, what, 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 what does this mean? You know, this was the quote unquote, this was here the whole time. Like that feeling is, is really important. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's one of the things that, uh, hopefully people will, will, will feel when playing this game.
0: Uh, I I saw in a different uh interview uh, you did for, for Tunic, um that you specifically mentioned uh and this spoke to the the Souls fan inside of me, um, that you were fascinated by like the like the poise stat in in in, in Dark Souls. I was I was curious yeah. to expand like what you found I guess are you a big Souls fan, and then and then more specifically, like what you found interesting about that? <laughs>
1: the point? Sure, there. yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I I enjoy myself a, a Souls, um, or a, a Bloodborne, um, and I think that's a the the poise, So people who aren't familiar, it's this sort of like secret hidden HP bar that refills. Um and the player has one and, and enemies have one. And it sort of represents how much damage you've taken recently. And if you've taken enough damage recently, then you'll do things like, you know, fall over or, or stagger. flinch when you get. Yeah, exactly. And um that in and of itself is sort of a cool like, oh, there's sort of this secret behind the scenes thing going on that means it, it just makes you realize that it's like turning over a rock and finding like, oh, there's there's all kinds of bugs under here. Ah, they, they were there that whole time, and it's they were doing stuff. Um, <laughs> and it's spooky and I don't understand it, but it's there. And now I'm and I mean bugs is a weird example, I guess, but the idea that like there's stuff going on that you don't fully understand. Um and, and I mean, poise is actually like really interesting and practical from a game design perspective because it means that you have like another dial to turn, like, oh, this this enemy is. Um, pretty challenging because you need to be sure you need to learn that when I hit this enemy it doesn't always interrupt the attack that it's doing or whatever. so there's there's interesting stuff there for sure.
0: Uh, it was um uh, one of my favorite stories that I, I chased years ago was so in you know, in Dark Souls one, the poise is an actual stat that you can like feed into through you know um and upgrade um and and modify through different equipment that you uh, carry. Um I think that was true in, in two as well. And they claimed it to be true in Dark Souls 3 because those games share a lot of, uh, you know, design DNA um, and and sort of, like, uh, how the stats, like, function. Like, you can sort of expect, oh, it worked here like this before it'll work here there. And then but when Dark Souls 3 came out, um, there were all sorts of items that said, oh, and this will impact poise. And, like, again, like we said, the, the most basic version of that is an enemy attacking you will you stagger and get interrupted. Um, and... What people found was that, like, they'd get to the end game, equip everything that's supposed to impact poise, and you would still get staggered by, like, the most basic of enemies. Um, I still have never to this day, despite asking uh Hidetaka Miyazaki, like, directly, uh, like, in a, in a, like, I was able to do like an interview with for for something with 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 uh, related to souls, and so I was able to like. You know, I asked all the questions I should ask and then like snuck in my degenerate poise question um, <laughs> your, in there. Yeah, your uh,
1: Simpsons xylophone question. Yeah,
0: because all right, a theory in the community had been that they just didn't flip it on and that it was a bug. And because at a, a later point the game was updated and then suddenly um, like poise started working <laughs> how it was supposed to or 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 closer. Um and you know, I think Mizaki's like quote paraphrasing was something like, Oh, you know, we regret how we communicated the uh how poise we, you know, did or didn't work. And I was like, I think that's the closest I'm gonna get to him to admit that it might have been a glitch in the game and they just forgot to turn it on. But that that tension between um sort of what players are discovering, their 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 if anything, that's an interesting part of uh like the layer of having multiple games where you 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 can expect a sense of mystery and then watching the designers play with your expectations as they work within that familiar framework. Um, I think it's just so fascinating because it goes, what's different about um, today and like sort of the mysteries that, you know, you're talking about in a game like Zelda or what you're harnessing in a game like Tunic is uh, when this game is released, people are going to open up the game and they're going to look under the hood. You know, that was not the case when (laughs) when we were playing games when we were younger. Um, And, so, I don't know, like does does that relate that more open relationship with players where um you know they're going to be able to ha- have a better like they're going to be able to talk to you, they're going to be able to uh you know examine the code of the game. I don't know. I mean like I'm curious if that influences how you think about what mystery means in a game now compared to, you know, if you were making tunic for the nest or something like that.
1: For sure. So, first of all, um as we all know, Video games of any size are ridiculously complex, and I, I do not begrudge uh, any any person working at FromSoft for accidentally turning off poise <laughs> and then turning it on later. Um, because I can, yeah, no, I can definitely um, sympathize with that sort of thing. There are certainly like, oh yeah, this this feels much better. And then you check and you're like, oh, whoops! I didn't actually change anything. Uh, so, um, so if people, you know, whatever, decompile the game and find out that I've made some um, critical mistake in the combat logic of Tunic, um, feel free to add me. Just please understand that this game has been in development for many years, um, with the vast, vast majority of the of the code written by uh, one person. And uh, mis- mistakes are going to be made, <laughs> um, and also people will probably, if they do that, um, it's. I mean, whatever. It's like we can't stop anybody from decompiling it. And it's anyway. It's a it's a single player game, right? We don't. If you want to mess with it, by all means, whatever. Um, the you, you'll probably find like a lot of weird unused stuff because a, a lot of. Um, Combat design is iteration, or not just combat design, but in general is iteration. Like this is a you know weird trashed concept for a thing, or this is a a feature that was explicitly turned off for a reason. Um, So there's yeah, there's there's definitely going to be stuff that people find in there. And as far as people sort of like doing what I mentioned before, where you like turn the bag upside down and shake out all the secrets, and then you're like ah, the the bag is not interesting anymore because it has no secrets in it. the i've noticed a couple things number one the the community at least surrounding the demos that we've done uh self-policing is the wrong word uh i don't like that but the the idea of someone coming in and saying i figured out all the secrets here they are like copy paste like someone could do that and and maybe someone would but but generally speaking people have been very nice about um being sort of offering oblique hints to one another when someone asks, like, "Oh, I don't know where to find this last item that was hidden in the demo," um, people will, you know, say, "Oh, did you check the back of page twenty-one in the <laughs> instruction manual?" Or here's a series of emojis that is a sort of weird, a weird hint, or the, you know, like good use of spoiler tags and whatever. So I think the the there's this thought that you know nothing can be secret anymore, especially with this internet thing. Um, but People like mystery. People like not knowing. And the reason people are so sensitive to things like spoilers is because they want to experience things for the first time. And if they really want to go in and read a wiki or whatever and have everything spoiled for them, it's like that's fine. Don't ruin it for anybody else. But generally speaking, people will play the game the way they want to play it, which is maybe you know um, trying to figure everything out on their own.
0: Well, I actually think uh- – what's so fascinating about the the fact that people now can sort of like dig in. I mean, there's a whole cottage industry, especially in the souls games of like, you know, here's the cut content. Here's the things that didn't make it in. If anything, it's sort of like, I think it's fascinating. It, it demystifies a little bit of like, what is it like to make a game, which is uh, a lot of things are thrown out. Like what you, what arrives, you know, in, in your desk or I guess, increasingly, you know, downloaded to your console or PC is not a, a a magical object like descended from from on high like as much as a company like Nintendo I think still tries to maintain that idea they're like no 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 like it's just here here's the thing it's beautiful this is how it always was like no like they're they're really complicated raw objects that are never finished and is just all right I don't know we're done like got to get this out <laughs> like it's just, and and the things that are cut are the, is the journey along the way to the thing that you are are playing, um, like however you feel about it, like they're their own mystery. And I, I think a lot of what communities end up doing after the fact is trying to figure out, well, how did they arrive at this decision? And like, that's sort of the joy of seeing the stuff that is cut is, is however you feel about the decision was made, being able to, in some ways, reconstruct the timeline of, of how that designer or team arrived at the decisions that they did arrive at.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like the, um, as someone who enjoys like video games and how they are made, um, any sort of peek behind the curtain on that sort of thing is, um, I mean, it brings us back to GDC. People want to know how things are made, right? It's, uh, it's, uh, it's fascinating and useful and educational.
0: Um, you worked on this game by yourself for an extended period of time before bringing on other folks to, to help in varying degrees. I'm, I'm curious when, I don't know, when did you realize, I need help? Did someone tell you, I think you need help? Um, like where, I imagine it must have been a big moment to go from having this like very isolated solo project to realizing if I'm going to make the thing that I really want to make, I'm going to need folks to to come in. I'm just, what was it like at that point to realize, like, I, I think this team needs to be bigger than, than just me?
1: Right. Uh, so very early on, um, like from the very start, I knew that I could not do certain things. In particular, um uh, audio design, something that I I had bumbled around with a little bit, but it's like I that's not my it's not my jam. Um so uh power up audio um has been on board um since very nearly the the very start and also I'm not a musician and so uh I uh partnered up with um uh Lifeformed, which is um uh, Terrence Lee and Janice Kwan, who are doing the music, and that was sort of very early on. That was me being like, "Hey, I've got this really awful-looking low-poly <laughs> fox." Do you like the video game? And they thought it was really cool, and they were interested. And um, I also had the help of um, Felix Kramer doing some other things early on that related to like business development, like you know, getting the. Sh- the the game to shows and things like that, things that I was not super familiar with. Um and then eventually uh partnering with Finji um to handle uh you know that – it's the metaphor of like the 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 more you know the more you realize you don't know. Mm-hmm. And as I was learning stuff <laughs> about like uh yeah, the horizon expanding or whatever it is, uh there's just yeah so much stuff that um you know someone like Finji they're extremely good at that I would have no idea was even a thing I needed to do <laughs> and so um, yeah they've been really instrumental and and not just doing like capital P publisher type stuff but um, also the the sort of uh, production support that is hey you should probably get some help finishing this video game um, in particular like going in and you know my favorite thing in the world to do is go in and place blades of grass exactly where they're supposed to go and have this <laughs> rock just so with a chip off the edge, like, oh, perfect. But it's it's also very time-consuming to do that. So we were fortunate enough to be able to bring on uh, Eric Billingsley, who um, has worked on a number of projects in the past um, as uh, a, a programmer. Like he said, he's worked on solo projects as well, but he also worked as the lead programmer on um, Cuphead. But he's also talented like a visual artist so he was able to go in and had the, the the eye um for like where to place the blades of grass and stuff and so he's he's really helped to push so
0: you never placed another blade of grass after you got help how- oh place- no no <laughs> ever
1: insane. late at night when <laughs> at, when you know everybody's committed to the repo i'll sneak in and I'll be like oh i'm just gonna put a <laughs> blade of grass here um no we yeah we we collaborate quite a bit and uh hand things back and forth to sort of polish things up visually and um and also he's a programmer so he's able to you know go in and um, fix bugs and stuff like that
0: was it uh, cuz um, i know you mentioned before that uh you know people dig into the code a lot of the code's you know built by one person like when you had to hand over your code to another person it's I, the most embarrassing <laughs> thing in the world <laughs> okay that um, was that was my thought i don't want to put words in your mouth but i was i was like i, no. feel, I whenever you know i have a, you know a similar feeling whenever i like write a piece and then i have to hand it to an editor but like I write lots of pieces a week, a month, you know, a year. And so it's like micro versions of that. Whereas, I don't know, this feels like a much grander personal gesture that would be terrifying. Yeah.
1: yeah I i built I built a clock that's made out of dirt. And it's just <laughs> falling apart constantly. Um, yeah. No, it, there are people now. So the um, – we're working also – a, a, I, I sort of – There are lots of people who are providing ancillary support for this as well, Mm -hmm. including like a porting house and and that sort of thing, Um, getting it onto um, – running well on Xbox. Yeah, just having – them very patiently come back and be like, you You really need to do this, this, and this. Um, <laughs> because they're, they're extremely professional and good at what they do. Um, but it is, yeah, it's a little bit embarrassing to be like, yeah, you know, I know this memory leak. Listen, I'm just a guy, you know. <laughs>
2: That's stamps.com. Code program.
0: Uh, and, you know, as you're you know, heading towards this kind of, well, not back half, like the final, I mean, are you done with the game? Are you still placing blades of grass? Like, have you been banned from... <laughs> grass placement uh, yet like when is someone gonna like hit your hand and like tell you like hey this has to go through you uh know, like- very very soon okay um
1: yeah we're, we're getting to the point where it's like all right start to like we could do a few last minute big changes but we got to slow down and like qa has been doing a phenomenal job like other things other people that would make this that have been that this game would not have been possible without um our QA team are doing a great job going in and and helping us, you know, do all the little fine-tuning things. And yeah, so we're we're entering the phase of just like go in and fix stuff.
0: Right. And, and that's it. When uh you had mentioned, you know, despite having, you know, enough of a broad tool set to start prototyping, you know, what tunic would become, but realizing very quickly that maybe uh music was not it, did you at least, like in that period like pull out like a casio keyboard like attempt to like put some music <laughs> into the game mm. or or was it just i know i'm not even going to attempt to like make a, a swish sound effect for a sword and dump it into the prototype uh
1: with music no because i i had been listening to um terrence's music for uh he did the soundtrack to um a game called dust force mm-hmm. that he was also yeah, awesome a programmer. around yeah and he did the soundtrack to the Double Fine documentary um, oh, series thing. Yeah, it's uh, uh, – the album is called Immerse, and it's um, truly phenomenal. You should check it out. It's um, – anyway, I was listening to that a lot while I was first working on the game, and I was like, uh, no, this mm. – when I, I want to work with. I want to work with this. <laughs> uh, but sound-wise, I yes, similar to it, it being a bit embarrassing to show someone your code, um, I'd also put in some temp sound effects into the, the like combat prototypes that I'd made early on, and. Um, Again, you know, Kevin and the rest of the people at Power Up were very kind <laughs> about my uh, BFXer, uh, you know, silly sound effects that I put in. Um, Re-recording to like- a
0: microphone, like how I'm curious, like what was the what was the process that <laughs> at that? It's stage? like
1: there are tools for making <laughs> okay uh, little little synth-y sounds for stuff, you. and um, yeah, I should go back to that and listen to those because <laughs> really bad. Um, but sound design is really fun. I like doing it. I'm just not very good at it. Right, it's sort of a, right, yeah. Um, so I, I, I took a, a stab at it, so to speak, the sword sound effects. But um, the uh, it's, it's funny, like going from that to a conversation that I had with Kevin just yesterday, I think, where he was like, oh, we really I, – I need to spend time working on this, um, like the sound effect that plays when you start the game. And I'm like, Kevin – don't worry about it. Like we got, it's it's fine. We don't need a special. And then he play, he's like, no, I already did it. Let me play it for you. I'm like, Oh, that's so good. Forget everything I said. Never mind. This is awesome. And just yeah. So having their sort of um, professionalism and dedication and skill um, is yeah really elevating the whole thing.
0: Um, how much? You know, I, I saw you mentioned a different interview, um, maybe it was with IGN a year or two back, in which like you finally felt like the game had taken shape or form or you, I think specifically said like, I know what it is. And
2: hmm.
0: I don't know what was the journey to getting to like, I know what it is. Like, cause obviously you can show screenshots little you know, c- clips of like the combat and exploration. But I got the sense from that interview answer that like that broader sense of like, what the hell are we building? Was something answered like much deeper into the process. Um, And I'm, I'm curious, was there, like a a moment where it felt like you knew it? Was that like a gradual process of, of realization? Like where where do you arrive at um, the turning point of like, okay, I know what this project is. I know what it's, I I know I could see an end point of how we could build towards that. Yeah, for sure.
1: Um, So this sort of ties back to that question that you asked earlier about a game. What is it like to, to make a game full of mystery, but have nothing in it be mysterious anymore. And what that means is that early on you're like all right mystery game time i'm going to make a thing it's going to have a feature what's the feature do i don't know isn't that exciting i love not knowing things <laughs> and so the process of like taking this like extremely exciting sort of like vapor this this gas of cool ideas where everything's a little ethereal and doesn't have and then realizing that's like no you got to like Turn that into a physical. You gotta like crunch it down and cool it down and let it sort of like crystallize and uh, anneal itself into an actual product, like a thing that people can play um, with a beginning, middle, and an end. And that was that. When any time that I had said like I, I finally realized what it was. It's it's probably. At that point, I knew what it was more than I ever had before in the process. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of this gradual thing as it as it crystallizes. Um, but yeah, that that process was tricky at the start because of the thing that you talked about before, where it is extremely um, seductive to add yet another um, loose end.
0: Because then you because- don't have to you don't have to cut. Kind of, you can always just say, "Well, I'll just keep I'll just keep walking in this direction." And so, <laughs> even though I'm scared, yeah. and I'm not really sure what I'm building. Like. Well, if I just add another <laughs> a layer on the road, I can I can worry about figuring that out later.
1: Right. And that's also that's why there's a bunch of like um I guess you not it's not cut content, but like abandoned ideas and refined ideas and like a lot most of the things in this game have been redone at one point or another, at, at least once, sometimes more. Um and so that process of instead of just making brand new things, starting to close those loops and making it more cohesive, um, is is the sort of thing that made me feel at the time like, well, that's it, no more mystery, right? If, but and that's why it's so heartening to hear people having, at least some people having, um, a, a, a wondrous experience playing it. You know, like it's still having that mystery.
0: Did you find that um, – were there were there moments where, you know, I imagine over the course of, of years where you feel like, well, I've, I'm iterating in this direction. We're cutting these things so we're we're working towards a better version. But that you got to a point later like, well, actually, I think that idea that we cut a couple of years ago was pretty damn cool. I think we should actually like to take that and shuffle it back to, to the front and, and yeah, make it totally. back Yeah, totally.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's um, – it might be an apocryphal quote, but I think it's a Miyamoto thing that's like, uh, an idea isn't a good idea unless it solves at least two problems or something like mm-hmm. that. And so, uh, yeah, saying like, hey, we had this sort of dead-end idea that was a problem because it was a dead-end. We have this other dead-end idea that's a problem because it's a dead-end. Together, it's you, you have two fewer problems um, <laughs> is, um, is very satisfying. Um, and – yeah especially when it comes to you know a, a game about keeping things mysterious and not explicitly telling the player what to do needing to be like all right what does the player have to do and, <laughs> and figure out what it is you know sort of hooking all those things together and coming up with something that um feels um hopefully sort of mysterious and ineffable as you're playing it but sort of as you start to understand it has some internal um, consistency is
0: yeah hopefully it lands <laughs> did uh did you find that in releasing that public demo um in which you know you're broadcasting the game to a much wider audience than you know just showing it to press or your colleagues or uh the companies that you work with did was that um was that part of the process of like figuring out like what this is and closing all those loops or was it more just validation for which you already felt like this is what it is. Like we've already closed the loops. Hopefully people like them. Um, I'm curious like where you were at personally in that process when it was finally time to like show it to the world at like one of the, you know, in the biggest ways possible by slapping mm. it on the, the front page, the front page of the Xbox door. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. So we, I mean, we had showed the game at, uh, you know, in-person shows in the before times and, mm-hmm. and that, provided – because even that very relatively speaking early on in like um, 2016 or something like that, um, at, at the very first packs uh, that, that it was at, it was sort of like, we, we sort of don't know. Like the, the demo was just, here's a bunch of the game that's built, wander around, um, and <laughs> Which it turns out makes for a terrible demo, especially when, <laughs> when there's like, you know, a lineup of people, which is a good problem to have. But we're like, yeah, you got I We know we built an so open-ended someone go game.
0: To, but. Someone go to the staples and buy a timer so that we yeah. can move, move on to the next person. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, and, and so later on,
1: we built these these tighter versions of the game that were mostly like, hey, you have like half a teaspoon of exploration and maybe a tablespoon of combat. And that's really all the time that we have for it. And so the those demos didn't on the show floor didn't really have time to show like overall structure to people. Um, and even the Xbox demo is just like a really tiny sort of slice, not just of the space that you explore in the game, but also sort of like thematically, what are the things that you're doing and um, what does it feel to, to explore? Uh, like we tried to capture those things as best we can, but so the the feedback that we got from, from stuff like the, the recent uh, Xbox demo is, uh, it's, it's very valuable it's things like oh we can fine-tune this sort of like stuff from a combat perspective and like you know tweak difficulty a little bit um and uh get a sense for like i was saying before how how what happens when a tiny little community forms trading secrets and helping one another out um how frequently do people find things you know what what motivates them if there's this big skeleton enemy that utterly destroys them it, it We discovered that ninety nine percent of people just hurl themselves against the skeleton over and over again um, because it was a a fresh challenge, and that was that was sort of an interesting tidbit. But on the whole, the the thing that um, I it's maybe not especially practical feedback, but it was something that I wanted to sort of keep close and like keep me keep me warm at night while I'm placing blades of grass. Is um, (laughs) that people seem to like it? You know that it's that people were are picking up what we're putting down. You know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that was uh,
0: that was good. Um, I think the question I'll, I'll leave you on is one that I like asking uh, a lot of designers is uh, maybe it's a blade of grass, but what is what is something in the game that you're especially proud of? You think is cool that you know it's not going to end up in a trailer. It's not going to be maybe something that you know people would immediately notice and put in a YouTube video of like the 50 coolest things you didn't know about tuning. But I don't know, like it could be anything. But is there something that you know, as you reach the end of this journey that you look back on, that you've put into the game, that you're like, I, I I, hope people take a look at this without obviously spoiling a mystery, but just something you're really proud of in the game that wouldn't be quite the headline moment, but you, you still think is extremely cool.
1: Uh, sure. Yeah, there are, there are lots of things that – um. I'll let people discover for themselves. There's one thing in particular that no one no one knows about that is something that people may or may not find a little little ways into the game that I think is going to be really really fun to watch people find. Um, but I I don't know. I think like one of my favorite things to do is um, visual effects. You know, um, I guess generally speaking, things like you know little animations or um, sort of special effects or, or things like that, and you know. Shaders, and there's um, like there's a candle flame in the game that is just—it's so tiny, it's so tiny. It appears in a few places, but it's just like a few pixels on the screen. Um, and I—I I really like it. It's a sort of thing that is just a small, little, cozy task to work on. Like make this candle flame really nice. And that's a—that's an example of something that I, every time I look at it, you know what? This game's all right. good good little candle flame Um, everything's gonna be okay
0: that's great Um, i I remember one of the first times i asked this question was with one of the designers of um it was like the the ice expansion to monster hunter world and mm -hmm. i thought for a long time about it he was like the way the camera swoops over the the cats as they like they cook the food you you only briefly see it but it's yeah. We worked really hard on it. It's super cool, <laughs> and I was like, "That's great. That's, that's exactly what I'm looking for." It's so like the the little the little flame is is mm-hmm. is exactly the, the same type of thing. Um, well, Andrew, I've sincerely appreciated the time. Uh, Tunic is out March 16th, right? Do I, I you have got it correct? Um, you got it. Uh, uh, I'm I can't wait to check it out myself. I really liked the demo. Um, I w- was immediately charmed by a video game that. Uh, uh, says it has like an instruction or dialogue box, and it says, Well, you're just not gonna be able to read any of this. Good luck. Um, and I was like, That's <laughs> a very bold move, Tunic. Like, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to see, uh, where, where it goes, uh, from here. Um, so uh, yeah.
1: yeah, we didn't really talk about the instruction manual at all. It's got an instruction manual for on the, on the <laughs> it, and
0: yeah. Yeah, it's got a, a lot of really uh, very handcrafted, very, a lot of tiny details that I'm I'm sure you are excited for people to discover as well. But uh, I want to thank you for your time. I don't know, is there any, uh, anything else about the pitch that like I didn't get to? It's March 16th, Xbox, PC. Is there anything else I'm missing?
1: I think those are the main things. I mean, you can, people can check out tunicgame.com if they want to sign up for a mailing list or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, play it on Xbox on March 16th. And it will also be available on Steam.
0: Great. All right. Thanks so much for your time, Andrew. Awesome. Thanks, Patrick. And that's a wrap on today's episode of Waypoint Radio. If you want more from Waypoint, you can follow us on Twitter at Waypoint, on YouTube at Waypoint Vice, on Twitch, Twitch.tv slash Waypoint. Uh, our theme music is by Bo and The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. You can learn more of Bowen at waypoint.zone slash Bowen. You can follow my work at Patrick Kluppick. We'll be back later this week with a full-fledged, full-cast episode of Waypoint Radio. Until then, fuck capitalism, go home.